All right. Well, if you're not stressed out between the video and that, I don't know how to talk to you. What's funny is I was watching the video, and somewhere in the notes or on the whiteboard, it said, practice British accent. And I just thought that was awesome. If that's on your to-do list, we need to hang out, because that was amazing. (laughs) Oh, man, good times, good times. I'll tell you what, this idea of breathing room has just made my life complicated. (laughs) As I've tried to live this so that I can preach it to you, it has really been a struggle, and I love that the Word of God still challenges me. It challenges my heart. I hope it's challenging your heart. I hope that you are wrestling with this idea that God designed us to rest. I was so moved last week just thinking about, I was talking to my some of my buddies on the phone this week, and just thinking about the idea that when God created everything back in Genesis. And we all know from the story that on the seventh day, he rested. And I always thought, what a great thing. You know, obviously God wasn't tired. Like he didn't, you know, he wasn't out of gas. He didn't need, you know, a recovery day. His muscles weren't just like wiped out. He just, he rested. Why? So that we would see what it looked like to enjoy his creation. But what had never really struck me before, I knew that was day seven, I had never really put that together with day six. Because on day six, what did he do? He created someone. Who? Us. Yeah, he created Adam. And he's in perfect communion with Adam. There's no sin. There's no apple. No snake's been going through the garden, right? None of that stuff's happened yet. It's just God and Adam, he's out there naming things. It's just, you know, so cool. And Adam's been around for exactly how long before God says, this is how we do it here. One day. How cool is that? Day two of Adam's existence. First day, check it out. Yeah, this is awesome. Day two, check it out. No way you can do that. You can rest here. You can enjoy it. How cool is that? I can just imagine Adam lighting up, just thinking, this is amazing. All that God's created, and this is how I experience it, day two of his existence. God rests. And then we look at our lives, and we go, hmm, did God really want me to rest? Won't I rest when I'm dead? Isn't heaven forever? Can't I catch up with all the resting there? And here's God who looks down at this group of people that he's called by his name. And he's called them out. And I think about how powerful it is, and and I'm just catching everybody up, that he calls out this group of people who have been slaves in Egypt. And he calls Moses, and we're going to talk about Moses today, and tells Moses, head up on this hill. I'm going to create for you a new constitution, a new bill of rights, a new top ten commandments on how you are going to become a nation. Because you used to be slaves, and now you're a people. And right smack in the middle of that, he says, thou shalt taketh a dayeth office. Right in the middle. He's like, that is critically important. You used to be slaves, and slaves don't take days off. Slaves work. Until they get sick, and then they're dead. And then you just get the new slaves to go. You don't waste good medicine on sick slaves, right? So this group of people were used to, you just worked as hard and as long as you could, and then you died for 400 years. That's what they knew. 
wasn't like that was just one generation. There's nobody in this generation of people who's ever lived taking a day off. And here's God saying, you need to experience margin. So margin we defined, margin we defined as the space between your limit and your load. The space between your limit when something blows and your load, how much you can do. So I shared with you last week that I learned about electricity that way. Because we were in a very old building and we plugged in a lot of things in our youth program. And the fire marshal came and said, get all your stuff out of here before you burn this place down. And he was right. And he didn't say, you got a week to do it. He didn't say, come back here, I'll give you like 10 days to fix this. He said, come down here right now and pack this stuff up and get it out of this building because it's dangerous how much load you've put on this building. It's exceeded the limit. And you know what happens when your load exceeds your limit? Disaster. And now listen, some of us have lived our lives that way. Our load is constantly pushed up against our limit. And we have to be honest about the fact that we have limits. You only got but so much time. You only got but so much money. You only got but so much resource relationally. So much. And then that's it. Eventually, you will fall asleep. No matter how much coffee or Red Bull or whatever you put into your system to try to keep going, eventually your load and your limit will meet up and something will happen. You'll go to sleep. And if you push all the way to the end, you'll get sick. You physically have limits, whether you like it or not. Some of us feel like we don't have any limits because we're liars. Right? We just keep denying, deny, deny, deny. Your relationships, they have limits. Eventually, she will get tired of putting up with you not being there all the time. It'll hit the limit. Eventually, your kid, who you run to every single thing, will hit the limit. I don't want to do any of these things anymore. Why are we in dance and karate and basketball and softball and baseball all at the same time and i've got to learn an instrument and and you're like but you don't understand i want you to experience all this stuff and they're like hey how about some limit right but why don't we do it we talked about this last week fear creeps in and fear begins to drive us fear that we won't have enough that we won't experience enough that we won't do enough we don't want to call it fear we call it ambition or goals or whatever but it's fear it's fear my kid might get shortchanged i don't want my kid to go to that school i want him to go to that school well that school costs a lot of money you don't make that much money that's okay i'm gonna take another job then i'll never see my kids so they can go to some school and that school will have to raise them because i'm over here doing all this extra job because ooh, got real quiet in here all the time all right, I'll move on from that one. That one was too close to home. Uh, <laughs> right? But we, we live pushing our life to the limit. And when your load exceeds your limit, breakdown. And so today I want to talk a little bit about the idea that we all only got but so much time. Look at someone and say, your days are numbered. <laughs> that was doom and gloom, huh? But we had to have an honest moment 
Some of you said that smiling way too hard. Some of you said that with traumatic concern. Your days are numbered. All our days are numbered. We only got but so much time. I was thinking about how our our uh, worlds have changed so much in the past, just like 15, 20 years. I was thinking about the first time that my dad got a pager. Do you remember pagers? Teenagers, you don't know what that is. It's okay. It was the pre-cell phone where, yeah, basically for drug dealers and doctors, and uh, which, may I don't know if there's a difference. Cut that from the uh, podcast. Um, <laughs> doctors, I apologize. We always pick on lawyers and things, right? Pick on other people. Um, Wow, I'm lost now. Oh, uh, pagers. Pagers. (laughs) Come back to me. Uh, Pagers. I remember the first time my dad got a pager. I remember him talking about a pager. My dad worked at a a chemical plant, and he was like a foreman at a chemical plant. I don't exactly know what he did, but he got that job about the same time as The Simpsons came out. And I remember that Homer worked at it in like a, right? He just sat in a big control room and ate donuts. So that's what I think my dad did. I don't know what he actually did, but that's the visual I have of my dad going to the chemical plant every day. And I remember when they asked him to take a, uh, to get a pager uh, so he could be on call if something went wrong at the plant and he'd have to come back. And I remember this tense conversation between him uh, and my mom uh, just talking about how they weren't tense, but he was just so frustrated that, that someone would expect him to be available in his time off. How dare they expect that if I'm out at the store, you can just page me and I'll get in my truck and drive to a phone and get that phone and call back and worry about you. This is my time. If I'm out watching a ball game, you could just page me. I don't. I remember him just being so upset. Why does the world need to know where he is all the time? He. Why did anyone have to be that accessible? And you're laughing because we have built into our lives a level of accessibility that we are always on. We're always on. I remember. When if my grocery list was go get some eggs, some bread and some milk, I would go to the store. Right. And I know that my wife wants me to get some eggs, some bread and some milk. And I would look at the milk and there's like 30 different kinds of milks. And I would have to make a decision what milk to get. And I would grab it and put it in my cart. And then I would walk over to the eggs, and there's like 10 different kinds of eggs. And I would grab some eggs. I put it in my car. I walked to bread, and there's like 100 breads. I'd pick some bread. And then I'd go home. And I mean, look, I got eggs, I got milk, I got bread. And she would go, ah, that's not really what I wanted, but good job. And that was it. Like, that was the end. She was just happy I went and did it. Now, I stare at a wall of bread, and I get my phone out, and I take pictures of things. And I'm like, honey, is this the one? Is this the, right? Like, I, like we got to worry. I, I love watching men in the grocery store just, like, calling constantly. I'm on the aisle, and there's, like, a blue one, and there's a red one. And it's like we can't even make decisions anymore because we're so plugged in and available all the time, and all the margin is out, and we're accessible every minute of every day. And you're laughing because you know that's true. How about this? I used to wake up. And there was like a song playing on the radio and I hit the, the snooze or there was a ah, 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 back in the day, right? And I hit the button and then that was like it. And then I would wake up and I would get out of bed and I would brush my teeth and I would kind of think about what I needed to do in the morning. And I, you know, I, I'd maybe get some time to myself. But you know what happens now? I immediately look at my phone and see what I missed in the maybe six to eight hours that I was unconscious. 
And oftentimes there's 10 to 12 emails and there's Facebook messages and there's tweets and things. And before I'm even out of bed, I already have let the world have access to my time. And I'm swiping. Oh, I don't want that deal. No, I can't afford to go on a cruise right now. No, you know, I'm swiping these emails out of my existence. Oh, this one's important. I'm going to have to call this guy. And I'm letting people get margin, get peace of my time. My load is increasing before I've even got out of bed. I'm not even out of the house yet. And my list has gotten massively bigger. And already it's ticking, tick, 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 pressure. Am I going to get this done? Am I going to get this done? Am I going to get this done? Do I have time to get back to that person? Do I have time to do that? Wow. Are you kidding me? And we wonder, and we wonder why we burn out, why we get frustrated. Why? And here's what happens. Because we, it's hard to measure how close you are to burning out. It's hard to measure how close you are before your soul is just exhausted. See, there's some things that are easy to measure. It's easy to measure if your account is empty, right? You can take your debit card, go to the ATM, and before you slide it in, you can drop to your knees. You can kiss that thing. You can be like, Jesus, I just, I just declare that there's going to be more in here than I think is in here, right? And you slide it in there. And here's what you will find out. You will find out the truth. Right. It will tell you what's in there. Right. That's not a, that's not up for negotiation. It's math. It's hard numbers. Right. Your body, you will eventually fall asleep. You will get sick. Your body has some indicators. Your hair will fall out like me. Right. Whatever it is, your waistline will blow. Whatever it is, there'll be some indicators. But how do you measure when you have no margin and you're hitting the end and your soul is just exhausted? That's a hard thing to measure. You know what happens? What happens is you're just talking to somebody. I'm like, hey, Donald, how's it going? Great. Yeah, that's cool. And Matt says, hey, I'm going to beat you at fantasy football this week. And I go, I don't care. Why are you getting in my business? I don't have time for that. And something snaps, right? You're, you snap and you're like, that shouldn't have bothered me. But I don't why did I? Why, I didn't used to have a shoestring thing. The kid spills some milk on the floor and you're just like losing your mind. They're a kid. They spill milk on the floor, but you're just like, I don't have time for this. Don't you care about my life that I got to clean up every time? When are you going to learn not to spill milk on the floor? And my daughter's right here. She's like, I'm three. (laughs) What's happened? Well, you pushed to the place where you've got no more margin and that you're hitting it. But it's hard to measure that. It's hard because we don't know it until it happens. Then this eruption happens, and then, like, the guilt comes in and the shame, and then you're buying them things, and you don't have margin for that either, but you're just like, I'm so sorry. Let's just buy whatever you need. You know, just take it. I mean, but, uh, you know, you're trying to somehow offset the poison that just came out of you, and you feel awful, and you're losing margin somewhere else to do it. Okay, so we're with, you're with me, right? So, <laughs> so there's this thing, and, and we talked about last week. Well, yeah, we're supposed to rest, but how? How do we do it? How do we manage that? And here's Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, and he's saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I was so moved this week about... Just this idea that Jesus doesn't take all of the stuff out of our lives. 
He doesn't say, and then you will sleep 12 hours a day. I don't even know what that is. He doesn't say all of a sudden you won't have stuff on your schedule. But he says you'll find rest for your soul. And so I was wrestling with this idea. I, I thought about for a while just really unpacking this idea of our soul. But I realized if I did that, that's all we do. And we wouldn't talk about how to rest that thing that, that we need to do. But Jesus is talking to me about this. And so our soul, I'm going to give you just an easy definition, a working definition of our soul. So, so we are triune. We, we're three parts, just like God's three parts, right? We got a soul, we got a spirit, and we got a body. And our soul is like our mind and our emotions. It's our thinker. It's the part that processes data and feels things and does things, right? We are a spirit that has a soul, and we got a body. You're not your body, right? The body just goes. We get a new body. You're not your body. Right? You're, you're, you're a spirit, and you have a soul, and that's how you process data and think about things. And Jesus is saying, you'll find rest for your soul, for your thinker, for your emotions, for, your, for the way you process things, for your heart, for your feelings, for how you process this world that, that, that is so marvelous that he wanted us to rest and enjoy. He says, if you come to me, if you yoke up with me, if you let the yoke that's on your life be custom fit and designed by me, then your thinker, your feelings, your emotions, even though you may still be busy, even though your to-do list didn't just get to done by somebody else, right? Even though it's still out there, he says, you can live in such a way that you can have rest for your soul. Now, what's crazy is he didn't, he didn't just uh, pull that out of thin air. That principle had been coming out through Scripture uh, for, for years and years and years. It's actually a reference to Jeremiah 6, 16. Uh, and, and the Lord says this through Jeremiah. He's, he's talking to the people of God, and he's saying, he's saying, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. But you said you won't walk in it. God's saying, if you trust me and you let me orchestrate the path, if you trust the ancient way, which was trusting me, then you move forward. There'll actually be rest for your souls, but you're so stubborn, you won't do that. Let me say that again. You're so stubborn, you won't do that. God understood that we were going to have a hard time trusting that the way he asked us to do things is going to work out. If we did, we'd find some rest for our souls, but we're so stubborn, we won't do that. Hmm. Interesting. We will not walk in it. King David knew it. Psalm 23. That amazing, beautiful picture of life with a shepherd. I don't know why we got to wait till someone passes away to be with Jesus before we ever talk about Psalm 23. Right? We don't ever want to talk about it. It's weird. There are certain things that we kind of learn, especially how many of you grew up kind of going to either kids' church or Sunday school or you had some experience doing that? You can wave at me. It's okay. We can be interactive here. We're at church. Yeah, a lot of you. A lot of you, right? And there's, remember, what, what were some of the favorite stories that you ever, that you heard from there? You can, you can talk to me. What are some favorite stories that you learned in kids' church that you remember from there? Say it again. Yeah, Noah, that's beautiful, right? God saves five people, kills millions and millions of people. And we, we start right off there helping the kids know what, what, what God's like. That's awesome. We don't paint that part on the nursery, right? Like under the water, there's not just all these other people. 
right? No? Okay. Sorry. Did I, did I lose you? Um, I just, it's the story. I'm just telling you the story. I, I, it's a pretty good story. Yeah. No. That's a great story. Good. Good. What else? What are some of the stories that you remember from kids' church or, or growing up? Yeah. Daniel and the lion's den, right? And the lions, their mouths are all closed. And, and we never talk about the king throws the other guys in there afterwards. And the lion's mouth gets open with, and he eats everybody that, you know, that, that spoke disparagingly of Daniel. But that's an awesome story. I love that. That's powerful. Good. Yeah. David and Goliath, right? David slings the stone. He takes out the giant. Then he picks up his sword. He chops off his head. And he brings that head home as a trophy. And he's just like, yes, right? See, those are amazing stories. I just, I love the word of God. I love that we teach it to our children. We should. It's amazing and powerful and transforming. It sticks in our hearts and in our lives. But there's something, here's what I want you to catch. Remember when we used to go home from church and we remembered that and we felt like, man, our God can do anything. And with God, anything's possible. Lions, no big deal. Giants, no big deal. Everybody else wants to be wicked. You trust in God. He'll spare you. Amazing truths about God. Then somehow we grow up and we start coming to church and, and somehow we move away from some of these things that we think are kind of too sun, Sunday schoolish, too simple, too childlike. And, and we have to like, you know, you, you need me to exegete something at some level. And you're like, oh, that's really great in the Greek. And I didn't know that. And, and it's like we lost the wonder of a God who could do what the word says he could do. And our faith starts to shrink up. And really, breathing room is all about faith. It's all about do we trust that God is who he says he is, that he'll do what he says he'll do, that we don't have to do this all on our own. That he says, if you come to me, if you put your trust in me, if you hope in me, if you yoke up with me, I will give you rest, not just rest for your body, rest for your souls. And Jeremiah says, oh, you don't trust him to do that. You don't trust him. God, you don't understand. I got this other report and this other thing. and I got this other stuff that I got to do, and I got, I'm going to miss out. And it's a faith issue. And it's like we don't believe that the God of the universe is going to fill in the gap. So we have to fill in the gap and push our load all the way up to our limits until it blows. And then we go back and say, well, God, help me fix that. It's like, why? Why did you do it that way? Why didn't you trust me? And we look at Psalm 23. And David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I lack nothing. Do you really believe that? Because I'll tell you what, when you were in kids' church and you, you learned that, you believed that. You used to believe that if God was your shepherd, you would not lack. Yeah, but God, you don't understand. I don't have this thing I want. So I do lack. Come on now. You filtered your needs and your wants together. God says, I got you. Trust me. I'll give you what you need when you need them. Aren't the sparrows taken care of? And your heavenly father knows what? That you need them? He knows. But somehow we stop trusting that that would work. I lack nothing. Verse 2. Ouch. He makes me. He makes me. He's the shepherd. He has authority. He doesn't just allow me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, this is a challenge for me because I was thinking about this. I always thought, and he leads me beside quiet waters. I thought green pastures, waters, he nourishes me. It's green, right? 
But sheep, sheep don't eat laying down. I didn't know that. Right? They eat standing up. So this isn't about eating food. This is about he takes me out of the chaos and then he goes sheep tipping. He knocks us over. He says he makes me lie down. He says, hey, you. Rest. You need to rest. I've provided this amazing planet for you. This amazing existence. And you have got to rest. He makes me. He's going to feed my belly in a couple verses here. Don't worry. But before he does that, he says, you've got to rest. You need quiet waters in your life. Time that recharges you. You need it. If you don't schedule it, if you don't plan it, if you don't put it in there. Listen, all day long, everything that you encounter is going to take a debit out of your well of resource of time and managing your soul. So you've got to take some time and replenish that however it is that replenishes for you. So if that means you've got to listen to some some, some music, you got to put some worship music on and you need to turn, you know, your phone onto uh, airport mode or whatever it is and just let that soak in you and charge up a little bit because every interaction you have all day long is going to take a little debit out of that. It's going to take a little piece. There's some people who are going to take a big piece and that's going to happen all day long whether you like it or not until you melt down. And if you got nothing left at the end of the day, guess who's going to catch you when your load hits your limit? Right? The one you love. Right? Not the one who took it out of you, who you should have, you know, you shouldn't have, right? But you should have had enough in your well to make it through that. Or else you need to, well, we'll get there. Cut them out of that. He makes you lie down. He says, hey, this is how you experience my existence. Lay down in this green pasture that I've provided for you. Go by the quiet waters and listen. He refreshes your soul. How does he refresh your soul? He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside quiet waters. That's how he refreshes your soul. And then all of a sudden, he can guide you along the right path. Now your thinker, your soul, your feeling-er, your emotions, all of that stuff is programmed to his frequency so you're able to think correctly. And now you can walk along the right path. You can manage that peace. Verse 4. We all know this one. For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, here's the thing. We are programmed to avoid the dark valleys, the valleys of the shadow of death. We avoid those things. God's like, hey, you're going to experience those things. But here's the thing. When your thinker, when your emotions, when your soul is refreshed, those things don't worry you the same way. They're actually opportunities. Remember the God that took five smooth stones and slayed a giant and the head that got chopped off and the victory that happened carrying the head of the giant. Remember the lions that just had to shut their mouths and stay there quietly hungry while the man of God stood next to them and was like, not me. That's you. That's you. 
He's like, the, the valley of the shadow of the death, that's not a big deal. That's amazing. That's an incredible opportunity for the God who is your shepherd to show up and prove that he is who he says he is. The valley of the shadow of death is a good thing. Because that's when we learn to trust God. That's when we experience miracles. But it only works if you lay down in some green pastures and let him refresh your soul. If you let him guide you on right paths. If you just go charging into every valley of the shadow of death and you get the tar beat out of you and you're like, God, what's up? He's like, hey, your limit and your load collided and you exploded and you dove into this valley. I'm over here trying to get you to rest. Can you chill a little? Breathe. Right? There's a beautiful picture about, about a sheep that, that gets knocked over and, and he can't recover itself. He needs the shepherd to recover it, right? It's over on its back, feet up, and it, it, can't, it can't recover itself. And there's fear and panic sets in because not, a sheep is vulnerable as it is. And now there's nothing. And the shepherds at that time, what they would do, they would come and they would, it, here's the thing, if they come all at once, and like, hey, get up, blah, I'll flip you over, right? Boom, the sheep, is, all its organs, blood the wrong way. That's like a recipe for a heart attack and just death, right? So the issue is urgent, but the solution isn't immediate. The solution takes a little time. The solution is the shepherd comes, lays by the sheep, and whispers, I'm here. You know my voice. You're safe. Let your heart refresh. And then he can't flip him over. He's going to lay him on his side. So let's get you moving in the right direction. Let me just massage that in a little bit. And the good shepherd says, okay, you ready? Let me flip you up on your feet. And those sheep, they're all known by name. He says, you know what? Now you're going to stay by me for a while because that was pretty traumatic. You let me lead you. My rod and my staff will comfort you. You see, we get all knotted up and we miss it. We miss it. We go, oh, there's, there's a shadow, a valley. Ah! God's like, that's where I show up. You can trust me. You know why you can trust me? Because you're laying down in the green pastures and you rested. But I ain't got time to rest. Okay, enjoy the valleys. Because they're coming. All right. I'm going to move forward because we're going to get stuck there. How do we solve it? I'm going to give you uh, 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 some solutions before I run out of time. And so I, I want to do that. I'm going to jump you over from Psalm 23 to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is amazing. I think of Psalms, and I think they're all written by David or some guy, Asaph or whatever. I don't know. But... Uh, this one's written by Moses, which is cool. Psalm 90, it's written by Moses. And Moses is talking about time. He's talking about time. And Moses has a very distinct picture of time because Moses, the scriptures tell us he lived 120 years. It's pretty good. The scriptures also tell us that at the end of his life, his, life, his eyes still worked really good. He had strong eyes. Some of us were like, you know, I'm hitting my late 30s. And I'm like, oh, I'm nervous. Right? And you're like, my eyes. Here's Moses, 120, buck 20. He's like, I got it, like an eagle sharp. So Moses lived this incredible life, this, this life that was like in four sections. He lived a life that was in royalty. Essentially, he, he was a, a, an Egyptian prince, and you guys know the story. Then he ticked off the royalty because he killed the dude, and they banished him. And then he was a shepherd for 40 years. For 40 years, just chilling with the sheep. 
you to think about that for a minute. Probably not expecting much else out of his life. 40 years. He's out there just chilling with the sheep. This bush catches on fire and his whole world spins again. Then he's got a season of his life where he's like, let my people go. You know, he's throwing down his staff and it's turning into a snake and water's turning to blood and frogs are all over the place. I mean, it's just crazy, right? He just fights with Pharaoh. God shows his power. Then he leads this group of people, of slaves, out into the wilderness. And he has this, this, this word from God that, that there's a promised land. But then they blow it. And for a, the next season of his life, he's wandering around in the desert in a circle. And then they come to the edge of the promised land. They're finally there. And God's like, hey, you're not going in. Now, someday I'll just talk about how irritated I am by that whole process. But Moses isn't irritated. But Moses understands the heart of God. He's submitted. So Moses goes up on a mountain. And remember, his eyes are good. And he looks at the promised land. He sees it from afar. It's pretty amazing. That's the guy. That's the perspective of time that he has. 120 years. Multiple lives lived. And you should read all of Psalm 90. I don't have time to take us all the way through it. But I want to take us to verse 10. He says, our days may come to 70 years or 80. Remember, he lived to buck 20. If our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Remember the, the hymn? Oh, fly away. Yeah, that's, that's where we get that, right? And we fly away. Verse 11. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that you are due. Basically, he is trying to say uh, everything we experience, it moves quickly, and then it is gone. Did I give you verse 12? Can we throw verse 12 up there? Yeah, throw verse 12, because verse 12 is the key. Verse 12 says this. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He says, your anger comes, and life happens, and all the things we go through so the summation of all that is to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wow, it's pretty powerful. That's Moses giving us a key. He's saying, you've got only but so much time. You've got to learn to number your days. You've got to be responsible with your days. And listen, you know how to do this. Because in certain moments of your life, you do this. When uh, uh, some of you that have gotten married, right? When you were getting ready to get married, when you said, I will, but before you got to, I do, you numbered those days. You measured them out, right? My wife's here. She bought a book, a whole like planning thing, right? It's like a three ring binder. And it was like this far ahead, get your dress. This far ahead, get your venue. This far ahead, you know, order your food, get your, you know, DJ or whatever it is, right? All those things were there. You numbered your days because you knew the countdown was on. You know how to do that. Some of you, when you, when you take a test, you think that way. Some of you have been students, right? And you thought, okay, I got, you know, 10 days until this test, and I got to cover 10 chapters, so I'm going to read a chapter and get it every day. And I'm going to, you know, you start measuring your days. Some of you got projects that are due at work, and you're thinking, okay, here's my project, and I got this much time. Or you got a company that's coming to town, and you got to get the house a certain way before they get here, and you think, okay, so this is when I'm going to do the yard, this is when I'm going to do this, this is when I'm going to do this. And you know how to number your days. And Moses is saying, you've got to apply that to your whole life. You only got but so much time. 
You're only in your 20s once, then they're done. 30s, done. 40s, done. 40s again, done. 40s again, done. Whatever, right? And then they're over. Your kids are only kids once. They're only here at this window. You've got to use that time wisely. I like this phrase. My time is limited. I'll put this up on the screen for you. Therefore, I need to limit what I do with my time. Do you hear that? Your time is limited. So you've got to limit what you do with your time. Your time is limited. There's only so much time that you have. And then it runs out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the cheater's notes of the end of your life. Okay? This is the cheater's notes. Some of you that like to read the end of, of a book before, before, you know, you like read the last 10 pages. And you're like, oh, this is cool. And then, all right? I'm going to give you the last 10 pages. Here's how I'm going to do it. Um, there's a, a, a woman uh, named Bonnie Ware, and she worked at a nursing home uh, in Australia. And she worked there for years, and she wrote an article, which eventually became a book, about interviewing folks that were in the last 12 weeks or so of their life. And she, and she interviewed them, and she talked to them about the last seasons of their life, and she, she had all this data that she'd accumulated over years and years and years of working at a nursing home, talking to folks that were at the last, I mean, they knew that they were coming to the end of their lives. This is it. And she had a list of things that came up. That as she talked to them about what are things you do different? What would you change? How would you have lived different? What would be different? I'm going to give you the top two, okay? Because I don't have time. I'll give you the top two. I'm going to give you number two first. Number two, I think you're going you're gonna to recognize. Number two is this. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Ouch. Now, that shouldn't surprise you completely. You might think of that. Um, in this survey, most of the, uh, of the folks that said this, she said 100% of the men said this. 100% of the men said this. A lot of the women uh, did, but in, the, in her venue, a lot of those women weren't primary breadwinners, and so they didn't have maybe that same re- uh, reference. But essentially, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Last 10, 12 weeks of their life, and they look back at all of those projects, all of that stuff, and thought, wow, that wasn't as important as I thought it was at the time. And I missed a lot of things, things I can't get back. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number two, number one, this one blows me away. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. Whoa. I didn't make this up. This is her summation of interviewing countless folks near the end of their lives And they said, the thing I regret the most, the thing that's number one, is somebody else put a yoke on me. Somebody else put an expectation on me. And I live my life trying to make my parents happy, trying to make my friends happy, trying to make somebody else happy. I spent all my time, all my energy. I live my life trying to trying to impress somebody who who they're not they're not even around to impress. And so I crammed my life with more stuff, and I took on things that I shouldn't have taken on, and I did things at a pace that I couldn't sustain, and I did it all for, the, for somebody, some person who, who didn't even know I was doing it to impress them or didn't even care. But somehow it got in me, 
well, you should you should do this. Well, you got a you know you got a, this kind of this in your account. You got this. Your kids are in this school, right? You got this and this, and you're living your life to impress somebody else. Are you serious? And at the end of their lives, time after time, frustrated. I got a card. You got a card when you walked into the uh, to the to the room today, and I I, I I got so much more, and we'll continue to unpack this. We got more time, so I, I, I was struck by this this critical thing. I was looking in the scriptures for the time where Jesus was in a rush because he had so much on his plate. And I noticed that time after time, even when really urgent things came up, he took his time to get them done. Jairus says, hey, my daughter's sick. She's going to die. And he's like, okay, let's go. And he starts walking. Right? And says the crowds are pressing in on him. And he doesn't, he doesn't like say, okay, form a wedge. You know, we got to go. His daughter's sick and start running. Right? He's not, he's not sprinting. And then a woman comes up, and she's been sick with an issue of blood, and she touches his robe, and power comes out, and he stops. Dude, my daughter's sick. Come on. And he stops. He's like, who touched me? And everyone's like, ah, oh, there's a crowd. He's like, stop. Everyone stop. Someone touched me. And he, and he doesn't allow the pressure of these immediate urgent things to, to stop. He doesn't run. Why? Because he understands that God the Father is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. And he has this amazing interaction with this woman. And then he goes a little bit further. And it says this. It says, while he was still talking, while he was still talking, he's there having conversations. Some of the servants ran up and said, hey, don't bother. The, the little girl died. Are you kidding? You're still talking? Like, Jesus, come on. Don't you know? He's going to post on Instagram tonight. I got to get this on. He's just talking to people. He's moving where he's supposed to move. And they're like, don't even bother. He says, hey, Jairus, don't worry. That little girl's not dead. She's asleep. They're like, dude, no. He's like, don't worry. Don't worry. Where's your faith that I can do what I said I'm going to do, that I am who I said I am? Jesus didn't push at that pace. If you show me, I looked, I've spent a lot of time this week looking for where Jesus was in a hurry. He's not in a hurry. Yeah, we cram our lives and we fill our lives. And so here, if, if you got that card, I want you to get it out. We're gonna, I'm, I'm pushing us on time, but I lost mine. I had one. Can I get one? Thank you. Thank you. It says breathing room on there. And there's a plus, a minus, a greater than, and a less than. I'm not a math major. Where's Jeff? Which one's greater? Which one's less? Which one? <laughs> I don't know. You know, you just write greater and less, and then you decide which one is, is which. And teach me that in Bible college. Okay, greater than than less than. Perfect. All right. Here's the thing. There are if you didn't get one, you want to wave your hand. I got some ushers, and they'll come by and hand them to you. Just just kind of slip your hand up, and they'll they'll give you one. We're gonna take just a minute, and I know time is is hitting us, and so I want to give you some breathing room. But here's what I want you to do. Here's what I realize. There are some things in your life right now. I'm gonna use a powerful word here. They are stealing your life. Do you hear me? They are stealing your life away. Maybe it's a, it could be people. This could be really tough. There might be some people in your life right now who are stealing your life away. Every time you interact with them, it steals you. doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean God doesn't love them. It just means that because of the pace that they put into your life, they're literally stealing your life away. And you can't get breathing room unless you find a way. To create some space.
so that you can breathe, so that you can be with God. And you need some margin. And this is going to be, this is going to hurt because you may have to write some people down. There might be some things, some projects you took on, some goals that someone else somehow convinced you that this was what it meant to be successful or to leave your mark or what's expected. It's somebody else's expectation. I don't know what it is that's just hanging around your life right now. And it is stealing your life away. Jesus says, just come to me. I'm going to give you some rest for your soul. So there's a there's a, a plus, a minus, a greater than, and a less than. And here's what I want you to do. Just going to take like a minute. And if there's something that you know you need to add, because it should have been a priority and it hasn't been a priority, maybe it's some time to journal. Maybe it's some time to, to pray. Maybe it's some more time with your family. Maybe it's a relationship that you know you've neglected and you just need to add it. I just want you to write that down next to the plus and there's pens in the chairs or if you're technical you could just put it in your phone then it's going to get hard and, and and next to the minus you could just put initials in case you know or put a code word if they're sitting next to you I'm kidding that you know this has got to go it's got to go it just has to go. Maybe it's just for this season because your life just can't handle taking this extra thing on. It's not a bad thing even. Maybe it's a bad thing, but maybe it's not even a bad thing. But it's just got to go. You don't have the space. Your load and your limit have hit. And you don't have the space. It has to go. After that, there's some things that maybe it's just about I, I need to increase this. It's in my life. I do pray, but I need to increase it. It's in my life. I do love on my kids, but I need to increase it. It's in my life. It's not something that, you know, it's my, my faith is in my life, but I just I need to increase it. You know, I, I do like to hang out with my wife, but I haven't taken her on a date since whenever. So I need to increase that. I need to increase it. And then below that, maybe some things you just need to decrease. Man, I love the Hawks, but I got to DVR the game and watch it faster without the commercials. Man, I said I love the Hawks and the mic. That was just a total hypothetical, right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I was just trying to get in. I was trying to relate to your world, right? <laughs> Whatever it is. Man, I've been, I've been binge watching this Netflix show and I have not talked to my kids in a month. You know, what, I don't know what it is. I've been, I've been working on this extra project and it's a good project. It's going to benefit us. I'm remodeling. I'm doing, I'm fixing. I'm doing, it's good, but it's got to be less than it is right now. Okay. It's got to shrink up some so that you have margin. You only got so much time and then that's it. Your time is limited, therefore you need to limit what you do with your time. Moses said, if you live like your days are numbered, you'll actually gain a heart of wisdom. That's powerful. I am praying that we would have hearts of wisdom. Because we'd be wise with our time, with our schedules, with what we add with who we spend it with, that we cut out some things that are sucking our lives. Maybe you just need to fast from your phone or from your whatever it is. Whatever it is, it's sucking up your life. And you just, I just think, ah, it's not evil, but it's too much. It's consuming me. Oh, I just need to crush some more candy. No, 
Take a break. <laughs> but you don't understand. I shot a 74. I can get to 72. It's like, no, 74 is pretty good. Jesus, we love you, and I'm so incredibly thankful that you care enough about us to want us to restore and replenish our souls. Help us, God. I pray that we'd put this card somewhere where we'd find it often, where it would challenge us. We'd put it on our nightstand or we'd put it in our Bible. Or if we don't ever open our Bible, we'd take a picture of it and post it on our Instagram. Whatever it is that we look at every day so that we would see it, God, and we'd remember you designed us for more. Our time is limited, and so we have to limit who gets our time. We've got to give room for you. Would you restore us and restore our souls? We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I held you a little bit late and I apologize. Pastor Andrew's going to come and just give you a couple quick announcements. And then uh, I'm going to owe you some minutes because I didn't have good breathing room for you.